I love John's account of the resurrection. All four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of course, tell us about the resurrection, but there's something powerful and deeply personal about John's account. Uh, He tells about that frantic running back and forth of Peter and John and Mary of trying to figure things out. Um, And then then in verses 9 and 10, they have has them sort of scratching their heads. It says, they didn't understand that Jesus had to rise from the dead, and the disciples went back to where they were staying. But then we have this very deeply personal note where the, the living, risen Jesus appears to and reassures a, a sad and frightened Mary Magdalene. That's how John tells the story. Pastor Diane and I were actually talking about uh, the different Gospels on Thursday as we're getting ready for Monday Thursday because John's Gospel actually is the only one that doesn't talk about the Last Supper, which is kind of odd. He tells a lot of other things, but he doesn't talk about the Last Supper. And we sort of marveled at the wonder of the Word and how we continue to learn from it and see some of the, the shades and nuances of difference that are there. Um, what John does tell us in chapter 13, as he tells us about that they're in the upper room, they are eating, he says, but he talks about the foot washing And then John begins to get the disciples ready for what's to come, that he will will be crucified and rise again. And in John's gospel, John tells us about Jesus getting them ready in the rest of chapter 13, in chapter 14, in chapter 15, in chapter 16, and chapter 17. Did you know that many chapters of John's gospel are in that upper room? Almost every single letter in some of your Bibles is read in those chapters. Because Jesus is teaching his disciples and preparing them for what's to come. And one of the many promises that Jesus gives them that Thursday night was that gift that Pastor Diana just talked about with the children, the gift of peace. In chapter 14, which is in that long, long uh, set of words, in John 14, 27, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And then the passage of scripture that the children just learned from Pastor Diana, John 16, 13, that says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but what? Take heart. I have overcome the world. All the way through, and we get through chapter 17, and then 18 and 19 tell us of the trials and the crucifixion. And then we come to chapter 20 that Darlene just read for us up till verse 18. But right after that, starting right in verse 19, John tells of, of first of Mary running the disciples, but then Jesus comes back to the disciples that night, the night of the resurrection, starting at John 20, 19. And the very, very first word he speaks is peace. Peace be with you. Listen to John 19, or 20, 19 to 21. On the evening of that first day of the week, the day of resurrection, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for what? For fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord, and again Jesus said, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Here is Jesus' first appearance to the disciples after the resurrection, that very same night. And John records that the very first word he said was peace, and he actually says it twice, Peace be with you. Now, that was somewhat of a standard greeting, but it was a a lot more loaded up that night instead of just going, Hey, peace. There was a, a lot more going on. Jesus had prepared them for peace, as we already saw before the crucifixion. Now he says, now I'm here to bring it to you. Peace here is, a, is a, in, in the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom, which is more than just um, you know, nothing going wrong or, or, or the end of warfare in a sense, but shalom means all is well, all is as it should be. 
In fact, shalom in the biblical sense, Hebrew shalom, includes the biblical idea of justice. Not the justice that punishes, but the justice that restores and put things right. Justice that makes things right. Justice that, that serves to, to bring, bring relationships back together. Justice that, that works its way into systems that are unequal and brings them back together. Justice where equal value is given to all of God's people. Justice where there is enough material good for all who God has created. Shalom includes all of that. The simple word peace, shalom, includes that. Some of you may have heard of Dr. John Perkins, who is the great pastor, the civil rights activist, Bible teacher, author, philosopher, and community developer, who once referred to biblical justice as this, as the presence of God's shalom, God's wholeness, where nothing is missing and nothing is broken. God's justice, God's peace, God's shalom speaks of his wholeness where nothing is missing and nothing is broken. Shalom, all is well, and Jesus says, peace, that shalom to you. May God give you every good thing. So Jesus speaking peace here on the evening of his resurrection, it is a greeting, but it's so much more. There's a reassurance of the peace that we can know in his presence perhaps breathing in those moments of fear and reciting his word. But there's also in his words to the disciples that night a call to action. Because he also says, after the second peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. It's as if Jesus is saying to them, you will not only experience an inner peace in me, the shalom of God, but it will now mark the way that you relate to others and the world around you as my followers. Shalom for you, shalom for others. It's the gift he brings, and today I'm calling it Easter Shalom for our purposes. And I want to look briefly at this Easter Shalom, first of all, as his his presence with us, and then secondly, Easter Shalom as his peace through us. Verse 19 speaks of his presence with them, and it says, uh, again, he says, on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. The disciples had caught word of the resurrection. John and and Peter brought back these mixed signals of what they'd seen. Mary had told them that Jesus was risen, but they, they were so confused by this. They were gripped with fear, and they were behind locked doors. They had seen what the Jewish leaders had done to Jesus on Thursday and Friday. And they knew that the Jews were out for blood and that they had taken care of Jesus on Friday. And now they were wondering, who will be next? Will his followers perhaps be the next? Jesus, he even told them that they would be hated by the world, that they would have tribulation. But then all of a sudden, here he is standing among them, alive and present. And they were still afraid even when he came into the room because perhaps for some of them, their first thought was, is he mad at us? Is he mad at us that we didn't come to his defense? Is he mad at us that we ran away? And Peter thinking that I denied him three times. After Friday's behavior, they maybe expected a rebuke or a punishment, and perhaps it would Jesus come in their midst and say, you know, you should be ashamed of yourselves. But no, he calms their fears, not only with his presence, but his peace words, peace be with you. Shalom, all is well. I'm here. I'm really, really here. Verse 20 says this, after this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Even the resurrected, glorified Jesus still has the scar showing. And it's a miracle that he came into the room as he did. But this is a a real body. This is really Jesus present here. Jesus brought them the gift of his real presence to fight their fears. 
As we learn with the children, there's a way to fight our fears now with the real presence of Jesus as well. Can, can we know the presence of Jesus in, in real ways? Yes, we can. Though not visible, I have, I have felt it, I've known it, I've experienced it at times in my life. Sometimes it happens in the context of our worship together, sometimes in my own personal worship. Sometimes when the words of Scripture are read or perhaps in sharing the Lord's Supper as we did here on Thursday night. Sometimes in prayer, most often the shalom and presence of Christ comes in something we're not very familiar with, silence. Deadening some of the other noises and distractions of our life and coming in silence into the presence of God. There are spiritual practices of silence, of listening, and, or what Pastor Diana suggested, of a breath prayer. In fact, my go-to breath prayer is the peace of Christ. That's it. I like to say that my spiritual practices that I use go from one second to three or four days. A one-second breath prayer and a three or four-day solitude retreat when I can do it. That's how I've been spending the last few days of May, by the way, after the, my last Sunday. But this short little one sometimes can get me centered and help me remember the presence of Christ and experience the real presence of Christ. A one-second prayer calls on all that shalom means. It calls on the promise of peace even when the world gives me troubles. Speaking of the world giving us troubles, I found an article from the New York Times that came out actually a couple years ago, but it says this. This past winter, Sarah Fader, a 37-year-old social media consultant in Brooklyn who has generalized anxiety disorder, texted a friend in Oregon about an impending visit. And when a quick response failed to materialize, she texted a friend and the friend didn't write back. Got that? She posted on Twitter to her 16,000 plus followers. I don't hear from a friend for a day. And my thought is they don't want to be my friend anymore. And she added the hashtag, this is what anxiety feels like. The article goes on to say thousands of people were soon offering up their own examples under the hashtag. Some were retweeted more than a thousand times. You might say that Ms. Fader struck a nerve. She says if you're a human being living in 2017 at that time, it hasn't changed in 19, and you're not anxious, she said, there's something wrong with you. Now listen to me. I'm not saying that Jesus is a quick fix for genuine anxiety disorders. And I certainly don't mean to lay that on those here who generally struggle with anxiety, but the rapid rise and prevalence of anxiety in this overly connected world points to the pressures and the troubles of this world. And all of a sudden, Jesus' ancient words suddenly become very relevant, don't they? I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble and things that will stir your emotions. But take heart. Feel it deeply here. I've overcome the world. Jesus still comes to us and says, Here I am. Shalom. Peace be to you. So, this Easter shalom we celebrate today is his presence with us, but this Easter shalom is also his peace through us. You see, Jesus speaks a second phrase here. He, sees, he speaks a second peace be to you, and then he says this phrase As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, Jesus is the sent one. The Messiah is the one sent to reveal God. He is the one who is sent in incarnation, God in the flesh, to bring the love of God, to bring forgiveness. He is the one sent from God to enact a reconciliation, to draw people back to God, and make it possible for us to be reconciled to God. 
For those of you that were here any one of the last four Sundays, nobody goes to church four Sundays in a row anymore, so maybe you were here one of them. But um, uh, we talked about the atonement, the atonement, and we described what that meant. What did Christ did on the cross? It put us at one with God. It is at one meant. It's another way to talk about, uh, or I should say another way to talk about what Christ has done on the cross and in rising from the dead is peace. God has brought reconciliation. He has brought us the hope of peace. The Father has sent me to bring peace, shalom, and now I'm sending you. God's wholeness where nothing is missing and nothing is broken. Sending us to reveal Jesus to people, to give evidence of forgiveness of what it means to know Christ, to bring the hope of restoration of relationships, to offer a justice, a shalom of God that puts things right. We're called to be reconcilers. In fact, right at the end of my message last week as we wrapped up our series on atonement, I read from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his second letter, and I read it again, starting at verse 18 of chapter 5. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We are reconcilers, we are, and reconcilers are peacemakers offering the shalom of God, the hope of the shalom of God, the shalom of the risen living Jesus, the shalom of his presence with us, and a shalom that comes through us. And that shalom coming through us means doing what we can under God's guidance and power to fix what is broken in this world, to partner with God, to partner with God to lift up those who are overwhelmed and oppressed, To join God in giving value and dignity back to people whom the world has stolen it from and devalued and marginalized. We partner with God to do those kinds of things. That's peacemaking. That's shalom. A shalom peace through us gets us out of ourselves, keeping peace to ourselves, and it gets us to connecting with those in need around us. I want to tell you about two prisons. Two prisons. First, I read about a prison in South Korea where you can pay $90 to spend 24 hours in solitary confinement. You can pay $90 to stay in solitary confinement for 24 hours, away from phones, clocks, and people. It's actually a mock prison that was built. It's a mock prison where you willingly turn in your cell phones and you get a 54-square-foot cell all to yourself with a blue prison uniform, a yoga mat, a tea set, understand cultural differences here, okay? A pen and a notebook. You sleep on the floor. There's a small toilet inside the room, but no mirror. And you get two very simple meals a day. The facility is called the prison inside me. Who? The prison inside me. The name's a little telling, isn't it? (laughs) That the self could be such a prison that we might need to utterly lock down in an actual prison in order to get some peace and rest. Co-founder No Ji-Hyung said that mock prison was inspired by her husband, a prosecutor, who often put in 100-hour work weeks. He said he would rather go into solitary confinement for a week to take a rest and feel better, she said. And that was the beginning. She went on to say that some customers are wary of spending 24 to 48 hours in a prison cell until they try it. 
After a stay in the prison, people say, this is not a prison. The real prison is where we return to, she said. That's prison number one. Prison number two is Stateville Correctional Center in Joliet. Last fall, North Park Theological Seminary, the seminary that's connected with our denomination, started a degree program for inmates inside Stateville. As a degree program offering inmates Master of Arts in Christian Ministry with a focus on restorative arts. Isn't that a great word? Restorative arts. It includes courses on ministries of restoration through personal healing, through community relationships. The the degree takes the the traditional North Park Seminary MA degree and and expands it to include courses to prepare those who desire to do ministry in contexts susceptible to violence, like inside of a prison. People are being trained in ministry inside Stateville by North Park Seminary professors. They're doing degree-level work. Many of them will be pastors of churches that stay inside the walls of that prison because many are serving life sentences. Ministry is happening inside the church, inside the prison through churches being led now by, by trained and educated pastors equipped with unique gifts to talk about restoration because our, our, our prisons have become places more just of retribution, punishment, and loneliness and, and restoration seems to be left by the side. But here's men being trained to bring the true meaning of restoration with a biblical justice with Christ at the center. Churches led by pastors inside, giving hope, bringing healing, bringing peace. And not just in the individual, but through the individual to others who need desperately to know that peace. Two prisons with a vast difference between them. One, the need for rest and personal peace, and another offering the hope of Jesus Christ. Not just a peace that is known within, but a peace that comes through. Shalom, God's wholeness where nothing is missing and and, and nothing, uh, and where everything can be healed and restored. A place, in a place committed to retributive justice, re- restorative justice is happening. And shalom is coming. We can be locked inside the prison of ourselves trying to struggle for meaning and hope and purpose when in fact it can only be found in the risen living Jesus Christ. When a series of poor choices and illegal activities lead to prison, and Christ gets a hold of someone, all of a sudden there's this hope of a new kind of shalom where things can be put back together and a life of hope can be lived. An Easter shalom that is his presence with us becomes a foundation to an Easter shalom that can become his peace through us. And on this day, we remember that Jesus broke forth from the prison of the tomb, the prison of death, to bring peace and shalom. Let me close in prayer. Let's reflect on, the, reflect on the gift of peace that we have received in Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, perhaps too many of us relate to the first prison, a place simply to get rest and peace and keep to ourselves, to not be bothered by the world around us. We need that peace, Jesus, and we know it's not in a prison cell, but it's in our walk of relationship with you. So I pray for each one here, Lord God, wherever we are in relation to you, that we would take one step closer to you, Lord, in that peace that you have offered us in the midst of our turbulent lives.
Lord, I pray that there would be inspiration from those inmates at Stateville too. That they're not warehoused away from us to keep out of our way, but they are living a vibrant life of hope and restoration as your shalom works in them and through them. Lord, I pray that you would speak into each of our hearts to know the steps we take towards the peace that you've offered us and the peace you've called us to share. We celebrate again in your name, O risen living Savior. Amen.